This is the Tribune Audio Network. Hi. Hi. Welcome to SIP. Survived. And repeat. I'm Jenny. I'm Danelle. And I'm Kenny. You guys, we're like getting really professional at this. And we're all doing it from home and we can't see each other. I know. I know. It's not, I mean, that, remember at first it was very, sh- I mean, it's still shaky. We're always going to be shaky, but I feel like we've gotten really good at this, like doing it from afar. Yes. Um, and you guys said you can hear me okay because I can't, again, can't hear myself that well and I'm not plugged in anything. I'm just Bluetoothing. Are you, so I'm like, your beats in? Your beats I have on? my beats, I have my beats on and I can't mm-hmm. hear myself. I'm probably talking louder than I need to, but. I don't know what's recording my voice. I guess my phone, the speaker on my phone. You sound good. Okay, good. I'm going to try to talk loud this time. Yeah. Because word around the campfire is, I don't want to be the silent talker. You're the quiet talker. Nobody likes it. No, it's annoying. Um, Okay, I had a couple of items I was going to tell you. Uh, A, I'm freezing. I feel like... What? Yeah, well, because here's the thing. Tomorrow it's supposed to be like a 1 billion degrees in Cleveland, Ohio. Yes. And so we just didn't turn off our air conditioning. It's just been on. And it's not that it's not that yeah, hot but, out today. But what do you keep your air at? I don't even know. I'll be honest <laughs> okay. with you. I'll be honest. I'm not in charge of that. That's more of like a Donald, my husband sort of thing. Um what I would like to say is uh, something about that. Oh, I moved my at-home office into the dining room. And the dining room is currently in a state of being redone. Mm-hmm. So, like, we had pulled the wallpaper. Well, okay. Donald did all the work. He pulled the wallpaper. He had primed everything. But we haven't done anything since. And the light fixture straight from the 90s, as you guys saw on the earlier Zoom call today, with fake tassels, mm-hmm. uh, is kind of hanging down from the ceiling lower than it normally would. But also there should be a table in the middle of the room. And the table's now pushed into the corner, more like a desk. Anyway, I have almost smashed my head on it like 50 times today. And then I actually smashed my head on it probably like 20 minutes before this call. Ow, so do you have a headache? No, but I'm wondering if there's going to be like a mark on my face. A tassel mark? <laughs> Just like a tassel imprint. <laughs> it's a beautiful lamp. It's a beautiful lamp. Hey, or thanks, chandelier. Man. It's a chandelier. A chandelier. Yeah. We have to get rid of it, but I mean, there's really no point at this time because I'm using it now as my office. So, yeah, whatever. I mean, you should just keep something up there for now right and no matter what it's going to hang lower than we want it to because uh there's supposed to be a table under it mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. no matter what I'm, I'm gonna smack my head on it I, uh-huh. I have that problem at our house we don't really have a dining room table and mm-hmm. but we still have you know something hanging from the ceiling and me being yeah. six four it like hits my chin so <laughs> I've, I've hit my head on it quite a few times yeah, I f- yeah. I feel like you'll learn after like the tenth time. Yeah, every now I I feel like, like it's an every six month thing. Like my mind forgets it, 
and then I hit it again, and then I'm very cautious for another six months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my my husband, you guys know, is bald. He, like, shaves his head. And so he always talks about that his protective layer is gone. So, like, a lot of times when you're almost about to hit your head, you can feel something brush against your hair and you stop before you really hit your head hard. And he doesn't so have that. He doesn't have that, like, buffer. So he's mm. he's made comment about that. And sometimes he really does smack his head harder than I think he normally would if he had hair. So for all the bald people out there, keep that in mind. Watch yourselves. Ooh. Watch yourself. <laughs> um, okay. Are we drinking? Are you guys drinking? What are you doing? Your lives. Okay, I am. Are you drinking? I'm drinking an old fashioned today, actually. <gasps> oh, oh, you fancy. Yeah. I decided <laughs> to switch it up today. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had a lot of beverages on Saturday night. Mm-hmm. I had all the beverages on Saturday. Um, so, but I'm doing a little vodka soda mix, but it's a light pour on the vodka. It's more of a soda. But I did okay. do a little splash in there just because nice. it's been a day. You guys are fancy. I, I am again idea. drinking out of a box, but um, <laughs> I've I have now gone back to um, the owl one from aldi mm. uh the red blend it's some winking owl is that what yep. it's called winking uh, yeah i haven't had that one um i like boda box better but like this one's probably like five bucks cheaper so like winking yeah. owl is dirt cheap exactly that's why i like it um so i'm just i'm having a havesy glass because i am going to uh ride my horse donna later this evening and I can't be intoxicated for that right (laughs) I'm gonna go for a run after this just to get my legs stretched out um I did way too much yesterday and my feet I told Donald this morning I was like please just cut them off my body like dear god (laughs) they hurt so bad you're like they hurt so bad I'd rather have stumps I'd rather walk (laughs) around on stumps Actually, I was like, I'll just swear, I'll walk on my hands. I'll get a good like <laughs> upper body workout today. No, I got You'll these be like, really. I got these uh, aggressive Air Max Nikes. Oh. Okay. Um, and they are they're kind of cute because they're like real colorful, which is like super me. Um, but they're also like kind of dorky because they're like big. They're like, I don't know. I don't wear gym shoes like this. Like this is like aggressively gym shoey like there's are these air your pockets. rainbow ones are they the rainbow ones or no one? okay no the rainbow ones I have decided I love um but they support wise like for my problem feet they're fine when my feet don't hurt but when my feet hurt I think I gotta wear these big old Nikes mm. but these are also colorful because my life is a rainbow and that's how I live <laughs> <laughs> Woo! They're really an extension of your life. Jenny, I wanted to tell you, have you guys ever watched My Strange Addiction? Yes. I've heard of some of the stories on there, and they're crazy. There was one recently, and I I thought of you just because it was horse-related, not for any other reason. Oh, God. Oh, God. Was it the pony play one? Yes! She wanted to be a pony. It was so (laughs) weird. And I was like, like, in a sexual way. No, it was like a sexual way, though. It yeah. was, but it really wasn't like she just trotted around 
in this mm. like suit and just yeah. did these like horse she would name all the horse steps and then she'd do them and i was just like i mean hey to each her own but i've seen that clip of that one it, it i'm gonna be honest out. with you she's in this like bodysuit god no um i love horses i feel like they are like big puppies they all have their own personality i love them but um i don't want to be a horse no That's i know not... i just i thought of you just oh i know loved horses so <laughs> not for, an, again, not for any other reason way. a very weird way yes mm. i just is there anyone at your um stable that is would ever do that or is this like no. a thing okay no I will say when I was a little kid and I started riding like I went to um horse day camp so I would like mm-hmm. go every day from like eight to like three and like learn about horses and like take care of the equipment and like groom the horses and bathe the horses and then you got to ride a little bit and during that me and some of the other little kids used to pretend we were horses Wow, but we were but we were little kids. Yeah, that's different. I used to pretend like I was a dog, and that's you know right. Um, but other anyway. than that, other than that, I've never, as an adult, pretended to be a horse. Other than maybe if my son makes me. <laughs> good, good news. <laughs> good news, guys. I'm Such keeping a it weird strictly. Show. Yeah, I don't like the ones where they eat stuff that you're not supposed to. Like yeah, like dryer sheets. The one lady was eating mm-hmm. a dryer sheet. Or, like, foam um, from a couch. Yeah, I saw that one. Wow. Or paint. Mm-mm. Anyway. Mm-mm. Okay. Um, we both apparently have some awful survival stories, which they're always good because the people survive, so that's, like, optimal. Yeah, but- I mean, I bet mine's awfully put together, not <laughs> awful. <laughs> Mine is coming from memory, so uh, I have stuff written down about the stupid attacker um because mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about him and I just needed more info but the rest is out of memory I'm scared <laughs> I mean mine's from an, a couple articles so it's like a mish together so it'll okay. be it'll be great it'll be okay. nice okay first I know you like to um, and it will give me a chance to eat my snickety snack sure just put yourself on mute though okay you don't want to hear me chewing no Okay, I got the. I have to tell you, they're called Fudge Dip Coconut Chewy Granola Bars from Sunbelt Bakery, and they oh are fucking heaven. Mm. Like, they're not good for you. I shouldn't be eating this. I'm a Weight Watchers. I've been stuck at the same weight for like three weeks. But they're so good, and I'm a little hungry, and I can't eat before I go to horseback riding, or it'll jiggle around like a meal. So anyway, yeah. All right, you go ahead. I'm gonna put this on mute. I will okay. give commentary as needed. Okay, great. So this is a survival story. I'm going to botch this poor little girl's name, and I'm so sorry. It's Bahina Bakari? I mean, I don't know. Um, You're you're going to have to send me how to spell that later. I will. I'll send you the actual spelling of it. Yeah, that'd be nice. Um, (laughs) And this is the miracle of Flight 626 of the Yemenia. I'm going to just call it the Yemen Airways, because that's just... I think it's how it's pronounced. And I got this from the Australian. It's a website and then Wikipedia and all sorts of fun other places. So um, this sweet little baby girl is 13 years old. And the story starts out that she's gripping to a piece of metal, gasping for breath in the waves somewhere in the darkness. She hears voices screaming for help. 
and all of those voices soon fade. And hours later, when the sun comes up, Bahina, a 13-year-old schoolgirl, like I said, was adrift alone in the Indian Ocean. Terrifying. Um, so she's in the middle of her makeshift raft, and she's on a piece of aircraft, and she notices a porthole in the aircraft. So it's the window piece that she's laying on, and she peers through it into the depths of the ocean, and all she can see is sharp moving objects below her, assuming that they're sharks and other animals because these are like shark-infested waters she's in. And she says to herself, she was ready, like she's ready to die. Like this is it, she's ready to go. Um, but she doesn't die. She's the sole survivor of a plane crash that had 152 people on it, including her mother that were killed June 30th, 2009. So they dubbed her as the miracle girl. And until she arrived at the hospital, and I'll talk about her rescue and how the crash happened and all that stuff, but I thought this part was really sad. Until arriving in the hospital, she was um, in utter shock, and she thought at this point that she had fallen from the aircraft after pressing too hard with her forehead against the window, because she's a little oh, girl, no. and she didn't, she didn't realize what actually happened. Pause um, for a second on that, on okay. that note, pause for one second. Uh-huh. When I was a kid, I was in the uh or no, I was I think I was in eighth grade and we were going to Washington DC for our eighth grade trip. Mm-hmm. And we were on a, one of those big like buses, like yeah, charter buses that have like nice seats that lean back. I had my own two seat like row and mm-hmm. I was laying down and I had my feet against the window of oh, the bus. No. And I don't know if you know this, but those buses, those windows, they pop out. So I didn't you know can that. Escape. Yeah. There's like a bar at the bottom and you pull it up and you push the window out. Well, I'm sleeping and all of a sudden I feel the window start to like move. Oh my God. And I was God. like, because my feet were against it. And so I got, it kept like, sh- like wiggling and I was like, this shit's going to break and I'm going to be in trouble. So I went and told the bus driver, like, hi, um, I think I broke my window. <laughs> oh, you're such a good student. You and, just, like, ignored it and let it fall off. No, eventually. yeah. So at the next rest stop, they the bus driver came back and um, basically pulled the bar, opened it, and then slammed it shut again and locked it and told me to keep my feet off the fucking window. It's like, they're like, listen, little bitch, keep your feet off the windows. <laughs> Troublemaker. That's probably what the the, um, flight attendant said to this little girl. So, yeah. So, as she's flying, she's, like, pressing her head against the window to, like, look out the window. And then the plane crashes and she wakes up in the ocean. And she's thinking. And she she doesn't realize that everyone around her, all the screams that she's hearing were dead people or people dying. And all she thinks, all she can think of at the time is she thinks her mother has landed safely. And would be worried to death about her, as well as she thought her mom would be very angry at her for falling out of the plane and not putting on her seatbelt. Oh, no! So this poor little girl is just in complete denial and, and not denial in a bad way, but she's just in complete shock and denial about what has happened. Um, So to back up a little bit, her and her mom had set 
got on a plane, boarded a plane in Paris. They lived in Paris and they were going to this small little island in the Indian Ocean, which is where um, her, I believe her mom's family was from. And it was her first time visiting um, the little girls. And so they boarded a plane in Paris and they, they had to stop at a couple different countries to get on several different planes. So they were on the last leg of their flight and they were actually getting ready to land. They were like nine miles from the island. Um, and I'll mention the island later because it's somewhere buried in my <laughs> notes here. Um, at, so they were nine miles from the uh, island and they were starting their descent and the plane started to shake and um, she recalls that the hostess seemed very nervous and the cabin lights went on and off and the aircraft began to buck in the air. Oh. And, and again, she's pressing her head against the window during this whole time. The lights went off and she said she felt a surge of electricity and she cried out for her mom. And then the next thing she knows, an explosion happened and she wakes up in the middle of the ocean. Hmm. So... Um, she knew she was in the water and she is very confused, doesn't know what's happening. She said she was choking on all the fuel that had released into the water she was swallowing. So her esophagus was burning. Um, she was out of breath and it was dark and scary. And she noticed there were four pieces of white debris floating in the ocean, not far from her. So she tried to swim towards one of them and she kept you know, sliding off of them. She couldn't get on top of them. And, and the one she managed to finally get on top of, and she just laid there across it, you know, um, evening it out in the water for as long as she could. And um, she also noticed when the sun started to rise, uh, the crash happened about two in the morning. So when the sun finally came up, she noticed that the waves and the current were taking her, she noticed like some trees in the distance Mm -hmm. And, but she noticed the waves were taking her further and further away from the trees. So she's being pulled mm -hmm. further out into the ocean, which is also terrifying. Mm -hmm. um, so it becomes very clear that she's drifting away from the land instead of towards it. And she said that her strength and her thoughts became very, you know, not very positive anymore. And she was on the verge of giving up and, um, she then looked up. So this is about 13 hours have passed. So she's been stuck out there in the ocean, in the middle of the ocean for 13 Ugh. hours. And then she looks up and looks through the waves and she sees a boat and she tries yes. to shout. And by this point, the word, um, the crash, the word about the plane not landing has spread throughout the land. And, um, the little island that they were traveling to sent out an emergency signal saying, if you have a private boat, if you own a boat, send it out. We need to find the wreckage and see if there's any survivors. So mm -hmm. they were on the hunt for any type of wreckage. Also, the black box wasn't put in the right location on the plane. So they, yeah. they didn't even know what happened to the plane or where it was at this point. Um, right. So she, let's see, where was I? Ba, 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 ba. Let's see. So again, another <coughs> name I'm going to totally mess up. Uh, this is Libuano Mantrifi. He's a fisherman mm -hmm. and he was on one of the boats, a very small boat. And he was just out looking for survivors or wreckage. And he sees the little girl hanging on to a piece of fuselage. And in his amaz amazement, he could not believe that there was a survivor to this wreckage. Um, during this time, Bahini let go of her raft and she was trying to swim towards the rescuers because she saw one of the boats 
and she was swallowed up and taken under by a wave. <gasps> and uh, the fisherman jumped into action and swam towards her. He jumped right in the water and swam towards oh, her. And he um, held her up in his arms and he swam back to the boat and um, which was about a hundred meters away at the time. And all of the crew member helped put him back on the boat and her back on the boat and safely aboard. She was given water wrapped in blankets and it took several hours with very turbulent seas to get back to port. By this time too, they'd also called off the investigation because Mm -hmm. the weather was turning. Mm -hmm. So um, authorities also decided at this time when they had her in their custody that they didn't tell her, they didn't want to tell her that her mom was more than likely dead because she was so disoriented and confused. Um, It wasn't until she was taken to the hospital. She was life flighted to the hospital And, um, besides cuts and bruises and burns on her legs, she had a fractured pelvis. So imagine as a little girl pulling yourself up multiple times on those floating Mm -mm. pieces and her collarbone Mm. was also broken. Mm -mm. Oh no, that's like the bottom and the top. I know. So the strength that this little girl had to pull herself up and then also to like jump off of the the makeshift raft from the airplane parts Mm. and try to swim towards the boat. Um, she's pretty incredible, uh, in the hospital as she's being treated, she kept expecting to see her mom at any moment. Cause no one had told her that her mom had, had died in the plane crash. Mm. Again, she didn't even realize it was a plane crash until she got to the hospital. And then the hospital staff sent a female psychologist to come see her and basically explained <clears throat> to her, explained to her what had happened and, Um, It was a lot for her to take in. And um, basically the psychologist said to her, I don't think they found your mother. They only found you. And at this point she realized that her mom was gone. And she said um, in an interview that those words hurt me more than the crash, more than the terrible weight in the cold night alone in the middle of the ocean. Um, She was also more hurt by the almost casual tone in which they announced to her that she would never see her mom again. So the psychologist was there to help her, but she took this as almost like almost an afterthought that they were just telling, you know, she was hurt more by the fact that they were telling (coughs) her later on. Um, She was also had a lot of um, trauma afterwards, realizing that she was the only survivor, all of the passengers, the pilot, the crew, everybody um, had fell from the plane and died just right next to her. And then she put two and two together with all those noises and the sounds she was hearing that those were actually people, um, that, that were dying next to her. Um, so the French prime minister actually flew his private plane or had his plane, his private plane, um, flown to this little Island to, uh, take her back to Paris for further treatment. And to reunite her with her father and her siblings, she spent three weeks in the hospital. Um, and one of her first visitors was the French president at the time. And um, she was very excited to see her siblings and her dad. And her mom's body was actually recovered. Um, Holy once shit. the storm set. Yeah, her one. She was one of eighty-four passengers recovered from the sea afterwards. Um, Still, she has been reunited with the fisherman that saved her life. And she and they're married with, and they have kids now? I wish. I think he's a lot older, though. Oh. Um, and then she no. said that, <laughs> she said that um, he's the real hero in the story because he actually jumped out of the boat to save her. 
And um, let's see what else. Da, 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 da. She's written a book in 2010. She mm-hmm. released a book and it was called uh, I Am Bahi, a Miracle Girl. And again, I apologize because I'm not saying her name right at all. And then um, Steven Spielberg also approached her to make a film based on her book. And she turned him down, worried that it would be too terrifying to relive the incident. Oh, but Steven Spielberg. I know. So today she's a student and she's working on her master's degree in real estate. And she said not a day goes by without thinking of the, the trauma and the drama. And she's trying to move forward with her life. And that is the survival story of Bahina Baraki. And Kenny, I'm going to send you the spelling of that name. You guys, <laughs> Thank you. And you guys can make fun of me later for not saying it right. Wow. I just can't believe that. Like, she was the only survivor. Wasn't there a movie about that? Like, not that, but, like, there was a movie, this fiction, know. where somebody was, like, the only survivor, and it was, oh. I mean, was, I read an article that said there's, I, I believe this is the 13th case where there's only been one survivor on plane crashes. So there's, you know, 12 other incidents where mm. everyone dies on the plane except for one person, and she's, like, the 13th case of it. Oh God! So crazy. I just thought that was nuts. And I can't imagine being her age and being stuck in the ocean for 13 hours. Yeah. Um, and also not knowing what's going on and thinking your family's like mad at you because you fell, you pushed too hard on a window and fell out of a plane. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of adorable. And like, I know a little the sad innocence. too. Ugh. Just the innocence of how Have you ever her noticed? dad. Oh, go ahead. <clears throat> oh no, go ahead. Her dad also said in an interview that she's super shy and like introverted. So he was really worried about how she was going to deal with all the trauma and stuff, but she's, she's doing, she's doing really great now. So good. Um, I was going to say, have you ever noticed on airplanes that there isn't a row 13? No. Look next is, time. Is that why? Cause it's unlucky and no one wants to sit in it. Yeah. It's the same reason that buildings don't have a floor 13. I mean, not all yeah. buildings and probably not but all most. planes, but like a lot of them. Well, if I ever go on a plane and there's a row of 13, I'm, my ass ain't sitting in it. So <laughs> they also okay. said, like, if you look up, like, why certain people survive in plane crashes, they say, like, oftentimes it is kids or children because they're shorter and lighter mm. and their heads are like their heads sit below the seats. So somehow that protects them a little more. And oh. also, you know, so you're saying you if, you, the if you get low, like if you get, get low. low. It's like how low, I like to survive low, everything. Low. Yeah. As low uh-huh. as possible. Um, <laughs> so cool. All right. I love that. It was something. Um, okay. <clears throat> I went back to true crime. I sure did. And it's horrific. So get ready. I'm ready. Um, okay. I am doing the survival story of Jennifer Asbinson. Never and heard of her. <clears throat> I know. I texted last night and was like, have we done this? Because right. it sounds familiar. But then once I started researching it more, I was like, no, this does not sound familiar. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I had to drive out kind of far today for work. And so I was like, okay, I need to find something I can listen to about this. So I found a YouTube video. I believe it's 24 years later. And it's Jennifer herself went back to the spot where this all went down. And I'll, oh, we'll gosh. get to the, to the all went down part. Um, 
and it's her sitting in a chair telling her story and that's it like it's not there's no reenactments it's just like her on a raw video and like, it is like a nitty gritty like like wow. her telling okay. the story and there's parts where she like starts crying and she's like I didn't mean to cry like I thought I would be stronger than this because I am strong like she it's like it's a little haunting to see it told first person without a narrator or a director like guiding it mm-hmm. like a lot of the produced shows and she said she's done some of the produced shows like crime shows and she said they wouldn't let her her tell certain parts of the story or they would like leave those parts out because that's not what the audience wants to hear oh my gosh okay this this was super raw and you know I love to watch these true crime reenactments and this was not this was not a fucking reenactment this was like the person just sitting there telling it and it was awful but important so uh, Jennifer Asbinson, I hope I'm saying that right. Um, she, this is in California. It's some, like, I think it's Orange County and like in the desert kind of area. She said, but again, I was driving, so I didn't write down like detailed details, but it's California is what, where this is happening. Um, okay. She's 19 years old and it is 1992. So take yourself back to 1992. 19. Um, yeah. hmm hmm There's some good shit going on then. Um, she's 19 years old. She grew up in, um, it sounds like kind of hard times is what it sounds like. It sounds like her relationship with her parents was a little rocky. She didn't find them to be super nice, but I don't know any teenagers that are like, my parents are the coolest. So, right. Whatever. <laughs> um, but she also said she grew up without electricity and without running water. So it sounds Ooh, like she grew, up, she grew up at least in some sort of poverty or, or a cult. I don't know. She, she didn't say that. I'm just throwing it out there. They um, weren't normal circumstances. Let's just say no. that. <laughs> in, 1992, in 1992, they were not normal circumstances. No. Um, so she's 19 years old. She has finally gotten her own apartment and a job. And so it's like a whole new world for Jennifer, which is super exciting. Um, and she, this is very, it's very noble. She was working with um, children, I think little girls that had disabilities, both mental and physical. So um, she went into work at 10 p.m. and she stayed at work until 6 a.m. Um, so she was doing the graveyard shift and. Uh-huh. She was the only caretaker there during the night shift. And she was basically there in case um, any of the girls woke up and needed anything during the night because they were pretty much um, incapable of caring for themselves. So they had to get a drink or go to the bathroom or whatever. She was the only one there. So um, again, she had just moved out and she had her own place and she didn't have a car or anything. Um, so she had to take the bus. So she was very reliant on the bus schedule. Well, she was pretty new to like figuring that out. So she thought she had some extra time when she got to the bus stop one night. Uh, I believe it was September. And so she stopped in uh, the gas station to buy some candy for the little girls, uh, to leave for them. Um, you know, overnight, like, yeah, give them a little treat. So she's in the gas station and she looks out the window and she sees the bus drive by. Oh no. 
We've all been there. You've been waiting for a bus, whether it be a city bus, a school bus, a ride of some sort, and they just fucking drive by, and you're like, uh-huh. no, that's my ride. And it's in the middle of the night, so that yeah, on top so, of it. So it's like 9.30 p.m. Um, because she has to get to work by 10, and she knows that if she's late um, or doesn't show up on time, that she has the, the chance of being fired because um, they're pretty strict about um, the rotation there because people have been on for a long time. Um, I think they have during the day, like more like nurse kind of staff. Um, so she's there to relieve them. So anyway, she misses the bus and she's like panicked and she doesn't know when the next bus comes. So she's like, I'm gonna be late to work. I'm going to get fired. Like this is terrible. And I've already been late a couple times just because the bus schedule hasn't been super reliable, even when and it does show 19. up and I get on it. Like, she right. seems so responsible for a 19-year-old, like, right. to only be, you know. Yeah. So um, she goes out to the bus stop, and she's kind of, like, waiting around. It's not like she could check her cell phone or anything, because they didn't exist, everyone. Um, and a car pulls up, and it's a guy, and he says, um, hey, can I give you a ride? It looks like you need to get somewhere. And, mm-hmm. um, she looked at the guy and he kind of seemed not that threatening. Um, and she, you know, she was thinking on it and he was like, he kind of did the thing where he's like, well, if you're like, if you don't need it, that's cool. And he started to drive away. But Jennifer is like, no, sh- I really do need to get to work. So she runs after the car a little bit and says, okay, yeah, I, I do need a ride. Oh. Mm, 1992 you aren't yeah, anymore and it's that thing where he's he doesn't seem desperate so you trust right him. well and that's what she says she's like i assumed if he was a bad guy and i had i had paused that long he would have jumped out of the car and just attacked me and shoved me in the car but he didn't he just started to drive away like it wasn't a big deal of course and i think in one of the articles i saw she kind of said plus he looked like i could beat him up if i really needed to <laughs> I'm like, probs not. That might have been the 19-year-old confidence coming through. But sure. Um, Like, I don't think at any point in my life, even at my highest weight, could I have beat up a man. Be honest with you. Even if he weighed less than me, like just the the physical strength, upper body strength of a guy is so much different than that of a woman. It's different. Yeah. You can't, most women cannot compete with that. Right. So, um, her work is about 30 minutes away. Um, he drives her all the way there. He says a few things that are weird. So she, they're having conversation in the car and she says something like, you know, I really want to be an actress, but I just, I haven't figured that out yet. And he, his comment was, do you want to be an actress in porns? Oh God. And she was like, no sicko. And she called him a sicko. Like she was definitely like, you know, not intimidated like, get by the this fuck guy. out of here. Yeah. Yeah. At all. Um, so he actually, he gets her to work and he drops her off. And she, during this ride though, has told him that when she's at this home for kids with disabilities, she is alone. No. She is the only one there with kids who are completely incapable of defending themselves that she will be there until 6 a.m. when she will take the bus back home. She has basically just told him everything that's going to happen over the next, what is that, eight hours. 
And that's that just young confidence that you don't think through mm-hmm. the little details that you're, the little crumbs you're leaving behind for someone to right. find you. Huh. Right. Exactly. So this guy, he, of course, Creepy McGee asks for her phone number. And so she gives him a fake phone number. Like, fine. So she obviously has no interest in him romantically. Obviously, he's a little bit creepy, but he did give her a ride. So she gave him a fake phone number. She goes into work and thinks, like, not a whole lot more of it. But she does think, okay, he does know when I get off work. Maybe I should try and arrange a ride instead of standing at the bus. bus. So she does call a friend and ask if they can come pick her up when she gets off work. But unfortunately, her friend's car has just broken down, so they can't do it. And she doesn't really have any other friends that have cars in the area. So um, she works her shift. She gets off at 6 a.m. She comes out um, and she notices a car kind of off in the distance, but she doesn't think a whole lot of it. But her mind is kind of like, I wonder if that's that guy again. Um, And she starts walking uh, down the street to the bus stop. And all of a sudden the car is next to her. Mm -mm. And and it's the guy again, the guy who drove her to work the night before. So his name is Andrew Urdialis. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um, he is, uh, he's there. He says, hey, can I take you out to breakfast? Again, he's kind of coming off as like, he's hitting on her. Yeah. And she's kind of like brushing him off, like not a big deal, but like, no, go away. And he says, fine, can I at least just take you home? I don't want you to have to, I don't want you to have to wait for the bus. So again, he seems kind of like a very non-threatening. He took her to work. He didn't do anything to her then. She's 19 and she doesn't, she's not fully thinking yet. Your brain isn't fully formed yet, everyone. Um, So she says, yes, you can take me home. And I'm like, no, the worst decision ever. So um, she gets in the car with Andrew and they start driving. And once they get going, he immediately asks her what the phone number was that she gave him. Oh, no. My heart just sank. And she says, oh, that was my work number. And he gets really mad. And he's like, no, it's not. I called it. Some old lady answered the phone. He then grabs her by the hair and slams her face into the dashboard. She at this point is in like full shock because she has, she's like, no one has ever treated me this way, especially someone that I just met. Like, how is this guy so mad at me that he is now physically attacking me? Like she's super confused. So as they're driving, um, he basically is yelling at her. He's so upset that she gave him a fake phone number. Um, And then at some point, I don't know, in in her video, she didn't really say how this happened. I'm guessing the car had to stop, but don't know. But he had twine in the car, and he tied her hands behind her back. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Again, assuming the car has stopped, twine tying happens, and then they start driving again. And she's pretty familiar with the area, and she's thinking in her head, please don't turn down this one road, because that is the road to, like, the fucking desert 
and no one oh, is no. out there and he's this guy's gonna kill me like so now yeah. she's starting to like realize what danger she's in well of course he turns down the road of course she is like please god don't turn down this road so he's driving down this road and um she's like i'll do anything you want you want to rob a bank together i will rob the bank for you like whatever you want i'm i'm in uh just don't kill me um so he unzips his pants and says that he wants oral sex. Mm-hmm. Um, it's at this point that she realizes that uh, she really can't because he is having erectile dysfunction. Like it's not, Working. it's not up. It's not up. It's not ready. It's not maybe, standing at attention. Maybe it could be the twine or I don't know, you bashing someone's head into the maybe um, dashboard. Yeah. Um. But something is is definitely wrong, and she's kind of like, uh, "What do I do with this?" Like, she, so she kind of is like, "Uh, I can't," and right. that obviously infuriates him to no end. So, um, eventually, he pulls the car over, and then he gets on top of her, and his intent is obviously to rape her. So, um. He's he she's in the passenger seat. He has now straddled her in the passenger seat and he has a big knife and he starts cutting off her clothes. Oh my god. Which okay. is like to me like so aggressive. And also to her, she was like she said he was so quick with the knife and where to cut that she's like, This isn't the first time he's done this. Yeah. Like his his intentions, like he had done this before. Mm-mm. So he gets most of her clothes off. He can't get her sweatshirt off. Um, but he somehow like cuts her bra off from under the sweatshirt or something like that that comes into play in a minute. Um, but again, he cannot produce an erection. So he wants to rape her, but he can't. And she is like, she at this point is a virgin. And she's she's like, I didn't know what sex really looked like, felt like, whatever, but I knew something was wrong. So I just kept telling him it was okay. And he got really mad. And then he grabbed the underwear that he had pulled off of her and he shoved them into her mouth. And then he pushed them so far back that they were in her throat and she started choking on them. What a dick. He then took the bra he had cut off of her and wound it around her face to hold the underwear in place. So this is the point where she's like, this is how I'm going to die right now with my own underwear choking me to death and me like asphyxiating on my vomit. Great. Great. Um, but he, at one point or another had told her he wanted her to say, I love you. So she, she had this like all shoved in her throat and she was choking on it. And she tries to say, I love you. And he hears it and he immediately takes the bra and the underwear off and out, off of her face, out of her mouth and throat. And he says, say it again. And she says, I love you. And like, what a creep. What an awful thing to make someone say who's like basically torturing you. Um, but it doesn't seem to appease him. Um, but she had, she said, I've never, I had never said it to anyone and meant it before, you know? So she's Aww. like, I didn't, she's like, I didn't know how to say it. 
to make him believe me. And it's like she was kind of, in the video, you can kind of tell she's blaming herself. And it's like, no, honey, he's this man is a psycho. Like, yeah, it's not you. Even if you mm-hmm. even if you did say that before and know how to say it, you're still in a situation that you're going to you say can't. it wrong because his, yeah, his mind is a psychopath. Yeah. So um, he starts choking her manually with his hands. And um, she said everything that she felt that was so she was so angry about or upset about, you know, any resentment she had towards her parents or her friend that couldn't pick her up because the car was broken down or anything that she was harboring. It all went out the window. And all she thought was, I want all the love I have for my friends and family to shoot out of me and find them because I'm about to die. Like she is like accepting it. And she just is like, I want all this love I have for everyone to shoot out of me and reach them because I want them to know before I die, how much I love all of them. And she said she got to a place where she actually felt no pain and she was like happy. And in her own words, she said, I feel like I died. She's like, none of the shows would let me say it, but I think I died. And then he wasn't ready for me to be gone yet. So he started pounding on my chest and I came back too. Oh my God. She, but she was like, I was at such peace and I was in this wonderful place. And then all of a sudden it was like, he was there again. And I yeah, was still back alive. To reality. So um, after this, he gets her out of the car and he drags her through the desert to some degree by her hair, like a fucking caveman. Um, and then he um, throws her into the trunk of the car. And she said the last thing she saw before he slammed the trunk was a bird up in a tree. And then it was just complete darkness. Um, he gets in the car and he starts driving. And at this point, she's like, I was happy I grew up without electricity because growing up that way, you had to remember where stuff was because at night, if you needed to find it, there was not really a way to find it unless you knew where you left it. And she was like, so I just started thinking about trunks. Like, where would the... Um, latch be for like if you unlock the trunk it's like in the middle on a lot of cars yeah so her hands are still bound behind her back so she started praying and like she said when I was praying I was basically really yelling at God like are you kidding me like you need to help a girl out like this is this can't this can't end this way and she said all of a sudden she started pulling on her hands and the twine started popping off her wrist Oh my gosh. So it was like pop, pop, pop. Like it came off her wrists and now her hands were free. So now she has her hands free to like play with the latch of the trunk of the car. Now, now back then they didn't mm-hmm. have like the latch protection that they have now or like the trunk Correct. escapes like they do now. Okay. Right. There was no latch escape. You couldn't pull a little thingy that's a, like the latch escapes now they glow in the dark. So if ever you're in a trunk that in a recent car, you should see something that glows in the dark that says pull to release. If you do that, it will release the trunk automatically. For her, she was just looking for the spot where the key would go in and release the trunk. Well, mm-hmm. after a little bit of fiddling around, she finds it. She pops the trunk open. And she at first was like, I'm going to do it slow so I can get out. But she realizes he's going really fast. So she's oh, like, no, shit. So she decides to let the trunk open, like, full force. 
because then he'll stop the car. So she opens the trunk full force. He, of course, hears this, sees it in the rearview mirror, stops the car, comes around back. Um, he slams it shut, but not before he threatens her with a gun. Um, and then he gets back in the car and starts to drive. Well, at this point, he has now accidentally stuck his front tires into some sort of like sand situation in the desert. So he keeps getting stuck. So now he can't drive fast. But if he can't drive fast or he can't drive at all, it also means that they're both stuck in the same spot. Right. So her escape is now a little bit more difficult. But she knows how to unlatch the trunk. So when she's ready, she said she could tell when he was screaming at her and looking at her because her, his voice was louder. And when he was looking forward again, trying to get the car unstuck, his voice seemed a little farther away. So she waited until he was looking away from her. She popped the trunk. She jumped out of that trunk and started running. There was a car coming, which is like a miracle because they were a little bit in the middle right. of nowhere. They're in the desert. Like what? She, she makes a run for it. She grabs this person's side mirror and hangs on for dear life. Oh my God, this person's probably like, what the hell? <laughs> she can see into the car. It's a woman in the passenger seat and a man driving. And the woman is like hitting her husband, telling him to go. And I'm like, what kind of bitch is this? Like, stop your car. This like half naked girl is out here, like needing help. Like clearly she's in distress. Right. So, but that car drives away and <gasps> Jennifer gets flung to the side of the road. Oh she my gets God. Up, she gets up and looks behind her. Andrew is chasing her down the street with a machete. Oh my god. Like a fucking horror film. Yeah. And at that point, so she... I would just be like, alright, fine. I give up. <laughs> well, and she said a couple times throughout this that she was like, just kill me. Just, I'm done. Um, in fact, before she tried to open the trunk, she tried to strangle herself with the twine, just so she could oh. kill herself instead of him killing her. So, um, she keeps running and there miraculously is another car. It's a truck. It has two guys in it who are ex-Marines. They yeah. see her. They stop that car. They pull her inside. She tells them what happened and they take her to the nearest gas station so she can call the police. So, thank you Marines for your service. Once thank again. You. Yes. So, she goes to the police station and you'll never guess they don't believe her. Oh, shocking. They think she's insane. They think she made it up. They think it's a domestic dispute between her and, like, an unknown boyfriend. She's like, what? Like, he, I don't know. It's insane to me. But I guess it's like you want to be like, it was the 60s. It was 1992. So I'm a little yeah. bit like, what? It's it's not the 60s, it's the 90s, and that's, you believe women in the 90s. Like, yeah. that's unacceptable. Especially yeah. that we're, like, beat up, and, I mean, her face had to have, like, marks and bruises on it. And... Yes, he slammed her face into the dashboard, and he punched her multiple times. And her clothes um, are cut off. Yeah, oh, and I forgot to mention, he bit her neck so hard that he broke her skin, Jeez. and she was bleeding all over herself. Yeah, like... There was insane, and she had the, the ligature marks on her wrists from being tied up with that twine. Like, it's just, it's insane. 
The other thing that was hard is that her parents came to the police station and the mother, her mother said, she's kind of a storyteller. Oh, what a bitch. I would be like, mom, I will punch you. So it's basically like the boy who cried wolf. Like people aren't believing her because she's told fantastical stories in the past, but nothing like this. It's never been like a horrific tale of, of torture and horror. It's been like more whimsical anyway so that's that um don't worry i have more um so i want to talk a little bit about Andrew. but if you're like and that's the end of the story and that's she that away. she's in an insane asylum <laughs> no andrew or Ur- Ellis. uh he was born in 1964 and thankfully that motherfucker is dead as of 2018 goodbye uh he was an American serial killer. He killed eight women during his spree. Um, a little bit about his early life. Uh, little is known about Andrew's childhood. He, um, in June 1977, he was just before his 13th birthday. He beat the family dog to death with a baseball bat. <gasps> oh. He then told his parents that the animal had been fatally injured by falling. I'm like, piece of shit from the start. Yeah. And you know, animal torture and animal killing is like a gateway to murder. It's just, if you can't handle, if you're a dick to animals, you're just fucking trash. Like, sorry. Yeah. Um, Sorry, not sorry. Sorry, not Uh, sorry. So he finished high school in the Illinois region, uh, I think right out of, outside of Chicago. Uh, he then um, became a United States Marine, hmm. which is weird okay. because Marines are the ones that saved our friend Jennifer. Yeah. Um, so between 1984 and 1991, he was at the Marine Corps base in Camp Pendleton, California. Um, he completed combat training and he used that combat training, uh, to kill women. Oh, pleasant. Um, he was deployed to desert storm. So in the nineties, nineties is when desert storm happened, right? I he think was, he wasn't uh, desert storm. I think eighties, like late eighties, early nineties, whatever. Okay. Um, so he committed his first murder in January of 1986, and it was a 23-year-old communication arts student at Saddleback Community College. So um, he stabbed her 41 times. Wow. Aggressive. So again, I don't know. Usually there's a reason that these guys have something against women. So who knows what kind of fucked up thing happened to him that he hates women this much, but um, next kill was two years later in 1988. He killed a 29 year old sex worker uh, and he killed her with a 45 caliber pistol. Um, he continued to kill sex workers at this point, I think probably because they were easy targets because they were, they're vulnerable. They're out there on the streets. Like it's, it's easy. Um, so Let's see. In 1991, he was honorably discharged from the Marine Corps. Mm -hmm. Um, And he moved back to uh, his parents' home near Chicago. Um, But he, in 1992, returned to California on holiday, or as we like to call it in America, vacay. Vacation! 
Uh, and that's when he ran into 19-year-old Jennifer Asbenson, the person who survives. Um, so anyway, uh, interestingly enough, she reported the incident to police and they didn't take her seriously. And Andrew returned the rental car that he had abducted her with the same day and flew back to Illinois. Ugh. So he assaulted her at 6 a.m. till whenever. And then after that happened and she got away, he returned his rental car. And just flew, like nothing. And flew home like nothing had happened. All in a day's work. Psycho. So now he's in Illinois and he was like, cool, I'm just going to do samesies in yeah. Illinois. So um, he continued uh stalking basically um sex workers and he had a his job was as a security guard at a chicago mall so a lot of customers knew him and trusted him um and he was all he was around his family all the time because his parents were there and i don't know if he had siblings or whatever so he had like this safe little nook in chicago area um but he was still killing people because he is a psycho um, the last person he attempted to murder, um, that happened in 1997 and it was a prostitute that, or I'm sorry, a sex worker that he had threatened with a pistol and he attempted to handcuff her, but she got away. So technically Jennifer and this sex worker are the two survivors. Um, so he was arrested and, um, Oh, they believed her. Yeah. Well, it's 1997 now. So like, you know times have changed so i mean i'm I'm not saying that in like a way like i'm just so disappointing that they did not believe well and they had they had all these murders that had had gone unsolved in the last Mm -hmm. few years so they were like hmm so they said let's we're going to test his weapon against the murders in the area and the ballistics were a match um but before they could get the ballistics match back um andrew made a full confession to eight murders Wow. So before they could even get the, the like, he was just like, you know what? Take me I'm in. Done. I, I killed people. Just, mm. um, so he uh, went on trial in Chicago. Da-da-da-da-da-da. He basically was sentenced to death, but then in 2011 in Illinois, the death penalty was revoked, so he got life imprisonment without parole. Ugh. But at this point, California was like, hey, send send him to us. Extradite <laughs> him to us because we have the death penalty and we want to get this motherfucker. So they send him to California and um, that's when he confesses to the killings there along with the attempted murder of Jennifer, which at this point had still been seen as not being real. She was seen Jeez. as... Uh, that she had a mental illness, that this was a boyfriend. What? She actually she was actually put into a mental hospital for a while. Stop. Because she was cutting herself. Well, yeah. Um, because, because she was, was so disturbed. Yes. So um, it was a good day for Jennifer when all this went down. Um, Andrew Yurdielis, I don't care how to say his name, um, he was sentenced to death in California. However, on November 2nd, 2018, at 11.15 p.m., he was found unresponsive in his cell uh, at San Quentin State Prison. Uh, he was alone, and it was apparently 
death by suicide. And he was 54 years old. Bye. Goodbye. We don't like you. So um, Jennifer has, it's now, well, when she did this video, it was 24 years after. I didn't look when this video happened. Uh, 1992. You know, math. It's been a while. It's she, goodbye. It's still, it's still very raw for her, but she wrote a book um, about her experience. And um, it's it was very enlightening for me to see how some of these shows, like the true crime shows that we like to watch, really edit. Yeah. Survivor stories. Yeah. So um, it was very raw. I don't know if I necessarily recommend watching it. um, But if you want to hear what like a real survival story is without the editing and without the sugarcoating, like she's, she's pretty raw and it's, it's very graphic. Um, So I'm, I'm happy that she has moved on. I'm happy that she was able to write a book about it. I'm happy that she was able to make this video. And I'm happy that this motherfucker is dead. Absolutely. And what part of her story would they want to edit or revise? Like, um, the parts where she she said during it that she, um, that she believed she was dead and he brought her back to life. The parts where she said, I just wanted to die. I wanted to kill myself or I wanted him to kill me. Um, the parts I mean, where those... she, she said she was cutting herself and that's part of the reason she got put into a mental institution. There were like a bunch of different things where she was like the show, she just called them the shows. The shows wouldn't let me say this, but this and is it's what part really of her happened. story. Like that's what it should be part of the, yeah. you know, wow. So I just, I really found it enlightening and also disturbing, um, <laughs> disturbing because it was very raw. And I was like, Oh shit. Okay. All right. Um, so anyway, that's my story. And that's we great. should have Kenny we should have Kenny tell us something much lighter if he has it. Lighten it up, Kenny. Yeah, I'd say it's light. Uh okay. So a sixty-five year old man living in Belgium, by the way, just so you get his place, mm. uh, says he is losing sleep because he has been receiving what for nearly a decade. Oh. He's been losing sleep because he's been receiving alien transmissions. Oh, my God. I was going to say telepathic messages from the beyond. Is that, is that we... both your guesses? Yeah. Are yeah. We right? uh, nowhere near. He's been receiving oh. pizzas he has never ordered. <laughs> oh. oh. Why can't he sleep because of that? I'd be like, that sounds good. Thank you. So at I'm first, it, he thought it was a simple mistake. But they kept coming. Orders of pizzas, kebabs, pitas, and other food that he had never ordered kept flowing in. It would come weekdays or weekends, and sometimes at 2 a.m., he said. He said every time he heard a scooter, he would start to panic because he thought that another pizza was about to be delivered to his house. Why? Don't fret. Just eat it. Well, he never accepted any of the orders because he didn't want to pay for them. Yeah. And then... But also, the weird part of this whole story is he has a friend who lives in a different city who has the exact same thing happening to him. Oh. It's been happening for nine plus years so far. That's crazy. Yeah. And some days, he's like, one day he received 14 pizzas just from one restaurant. Oh. What? Like it's, That's he's like, crazy. Yeah. I'm so curious to know 
who is doing I guess, this? Yeah, like who's playing the prank, or is it like a glitch in their computer system, or it's just I don't know. That's well, he not... says it's from like it's not from the same place. It's always like different places. Oh, so someone's definitely messing with them. Yeah. Huh. The wow. longest running joke. Nine years. Damn. I feel like I'm like. It's funny once, but after like two I times, think it's, it's. I think loses. it's funny a couple of times, and then you're like, okay, this is annoying. Yeah. I mean, it happens like weekly, he says. If mm. not daily. Oh, God. Okay. That's I weird. would think that the restaurants that are delivering to him could be like put on alert like maybe they should yeah. have like a secret passcode i don't know i feel like i could work around this i know i feel like i money. would tell the restaurant to be like hey if i ever want to order from you i'll call you myself don't right don't and here's the secret code for my delivery yeah mm. crazy. jenny and kenny on the case Solved. i mean we're ready to figure this shit out <laughs> mm. i love good. it um good job you guys, thanks for listening to Sip, Survive, Repeat. We hope that you are enjoying the show. And don't forget to tune in on Thursdays for our weird news shorts. I'll see you guys next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.